0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Over the next three weeks, we will be doing the sermon series on evangelism. And I'd actually been thinking about doing this for years, um, but I had two conversations recently that really put this issue to the forefront of my mind um the first one was i was visiting this ministry outside of my outside of the village church and i i I dabble sometimes in random things and i was visiting this ministry and i was in this bible study we're talking about acts four and about the bold evangelism of the early christians and this person who was in the bible study he said i don't think it's right for me to share what i believe with others um, because they probably already have their own religious beliefs, and I don't want to offend anybody. That's what he said. And um, I was a visitor, so I didn't want to say anything, but I said something. And I just said, um, I was just curious. Do you? Th- I, we're, looking, we're reading the story about the early Christians. Do you think the early Christians offended people? Um, and he's like, I don't know. I can't say, but all I know is, you know... When you know when they were on earth, they were with Jesus, and Jesus told them you gotta share the gospel with people. He gave them this he told them to make disciples, but that was then, and that's not now. He's saying, you know, everyone now basically in the US, they already basically know what Christianity is about. So I don't want to they've already sort of made the decision. So I don't need to feel the need to share what I believe with other people. And so that's what he said. So that was one conversation. He felt like it was not his responsibility to share the gospel with people anymore. And the second conversation was I was talking to a friend of mine, and she said that she was trying to share the gospel with this friend who worked at this nail salon, and this guy who worked at the nail salon, and she would go to this nail salon pretty regularly for years, and all for the hopes that one day she would share the gospel with her friend at this nail salon. And so she would go over and over, and she would say that she didn't even like getting her nails done, and she felt like it was way too expensive sometimes, but she felt the need to share the gospel with this person. So she kept going with the hopes that one day she would muster up the courage to share, but she never did. And she did this for years. And, and she was just always nervous to bring up the topic because she was afraid she would say the wrong thing or she was afraid she would offend him or she was afraid that she would give Jesus a bad name, and so she would never say anything. But she had this idea that I should say something, and so I'm going to keep going to this guy but she was always afraid to do it. And so we have these two folks. The first felt that we shouldn't do evangelism at all. That's not our responsibility. And the second person felt that we should do evangelism, but we don't, But she didn't really know how to do it. And so I don't really know if you know, any of you relate to one of these stories or the other, or one of these people or the other. I imagine that in a diverse room like this, we might be all across the spectrum in terms of how we view evangelism, how positively or negatively we might view that um and maybe some of you are you're even saying something like wait evangelism are we is that still a thing that we do in in 2018 is that something like isn't that like shoving religion down people's throats isn't that what that is like didn't we learn from the crusades that we shouldn't do stuff like that you know some people might be in that boat even today even in this room maybe others of you you know evangelism is your thing and you You think about evangelism day and night, and you go to sleep dreaming about evangelism, and that's what your bread and butter is. You're always thinking about how you can share the gospel with those around you. So there might be people all across the spectrum in this room, and I want to respect that. Um, So regardless of where you're at, it seems like many Christians are not on the same page when it comes to evangelism. And I would say another thing that makes it even more confusing is we live in the 21st century in an age where our culture is always changing and it's becoming more multicultural so that there are a lot of disagreements on how we do evangelism, if we do evangelism at all. There's a lot of opinions out there on how we do evangelism, if we do evangelism at all. Because, just to be frank, in America, many of the methods that have worked for hundreds of years don't work as effectively anymore. And so there's a lot of opinions out there, okay, should we not do evangelism, or should we do a different type of evangelism? What type of evangelism should we be doing? So there's all these conversations out there. And so we need to ask, I I propose, we need to ask, what do we need to change about how we do evangelism in the 21st century? And I would say on the other side, what do we not change about how we do evangelism in the 21st century? What do we need to change about how we do evangelism, and what do we not change about how we do evangelism? Because here's the thing, if you're, if, you're changing, if you're adapting to the culture so much when you're doing evangelism, at some point you're not doing evangelism at all. You're just saying what the culture wants to hear, and that's not evangelism at all. And So what do we need to change, what do we not need to change? And So my sermon today is titled, How God Speaks. And How God Speaks, we'll, we'll provide sort of a, a big-picture overview of God's heart for evangelism. And, I, and my goal today is to show you that there are many things about evangelism that we shouldn't change because God hasn't changed. Because God hasn't changed, His way of doing things primarily hasn't changed, fundamentally hasn't changed, there are parts of evangelism that we should keep the same. And in the upcoming weeks, I'll talk about um, how our culture speaks and how we are to speak as a result, and I'll talk about how we should or how we shouldn't make adjustments in today's culture. So I want to clarify one thing, is and I'm not talking about evangelicalism, okay? So sometimes people, they confuse these two words. as evangelism and evangelicalism, and evangelicalism or this, this movement of evangelicals is this movement within Christianity uh, in the 20th century that has been historically rooted in principles like Christian conversion, the authority of the Bible, cultural engagement. Those are hallmarks of this movement within Christianity called evangelicalism or being an evangelical. Recently there's been some political connotations with that word, so I'm not talking about that, okay? So if you're if you're thinking I'm talking about that, sorry, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about evangelism. And so I would say that some Christians are evangelicals, but not all Christians are evangelicals. But I would say all Christians are called to do evangelism. Okay, regardless of what your label is, all Christians are called to do evangelism and this word evangelism, it comes from the Greek euangelion. And this in uh, this Greek word euangelion it's most often translated to the word gospel. Usually in the New Testament, when you see the word gospel, sometimes in some translations you see the word good news. That Greek word is usually "euangelion," and oftentimes in the Greek, it's it's verb buys. Verb, it's, it's become a, it's also a verb, okay? And it's you eu, and and in that verb means to share the good news. And so sometimes you see like Jesus. UN gets to UN. I'm not going to say it anymore. He did this, okay? And it means that he shared the good news. Um, and, and so that's where we get our word evangelism. Evangelism means share the good news. But what good news are we talking about? What good news are we talking about? You know, um, recently IHOP came out with some news. And you can uh, debate whether it's good news or bad news, but they came out with some news and that they're making burgers. I don't know if you heard this. IHOP is now making burgers. And so let's say you tell your friend, hey, I want you to know that IHOP is making burgers now. So you would think, I'm sharing the good news with my friend about IHOP, okay? And so that is an example of someone sharing the good news. But in the Bible, when it talks about evangelism, when it talks about uh, you and Galeon, that's not the good news it's talking about. When, in the Bible, when it's talking about sharing the good news, it's talking about sharing a very specific set of good news, okay? And here's what it is. Here's a good set of good news that it's talking about. Once upon a time, God created the world out of love, and the centerpiece of his creation was humanity. He designed us to be these relational, purposeful creatures, to be in this beautiful relationship with him, with one another, and to derive our purpose from being in this relationship with him. But we rejected that. We, We despised that relationship. We rejected that. We chose to look for relationship and purpose without God. And as a result, we started to experience this thing called suffering and pain and death. Because God was a source of life, and us, we were in relationship with him. We derived that life. Because God was a source of life, apart from him, we started to experience death. But God loved us. And this is the good news. God loved us, and he chose to send his son down to earth to become a man, to suffer and die, to rise from the dead, and to start this church. And so when Jesus started this church, he started this new community. And he invited us to be a part of this community and to be a part of this community what you do is you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the dead to give you victory and if you believe that then you're part of this new family. And so the way the good news is this that we are delivered from our brokenness because through Jesus's brokenness we experience healing. We're delivered from our isolation because Through Jesus' isolation, he was abandoned on the cross, we experience community. Because, and we're we're delivered from death, because through Jesus' death on the cross, we have life. And so that's the good news. There's no greater news. That Jesus unlocked the path for us to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's the good news, okay? That's the good news that the Bible's talking about. And at the very end, what Jesus did was he commissioned his followers to share the good news with the world. And that's what evangelism is. It's this idea of sharing to the whole world about this good news that God has rescued humanity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's what Christianity is ultimately about. At its core, Christianity is different from every other religious system because at its core, it's a story. It's a story of good news. Every other religious belief system is predominantly composed of good advice or good things to do. But Christianity at its core is about good news. It's not about what you need to do. It's about the news that God had done the things already. And what did God do? He sent His son Jesus to suffer and die and rise again. That's the good news. And so at its core, Christianity is not about a list of things to do. If your whole life regardless of whether you grew up in the church or outside of the church, if you thought of Christianity as a list of things to do, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong because at the end of the day, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about grace. It's about what God did. And so it's not ultimately about following good advice, even though we still follow good advice. It's ultimately about receiving the good news. And evangelism is therefore sharing the good news. You know, sometimes when people think about evangelism, they have a specific image in their mind. Maybe they think of someone just on a public street corner standing on a box yelling at people. Maybe they think of that. Maybe they think of a big stadium and a preacher inviting people down for an altar call. Okay? So whatever you're imagining, I just want to clarify, those are certain kinds of evangelism. Okay? That's not all evangelism is. And so you can't, I would say... As Christians, we can agree or disagree about how effective some methods or kinds of evangelism are. Okay, we can say, I think this is a great example of evangelism or great method of evangelism. I can say this is not a great example of evangelism. Some methods are more biblical than others. Some methods are more effective than others. Some methods are more offensive than others. Some methods are more culturally relevant than others, okay? It doesn't matter what kind of evangelism you're talking about, but at the core of Christianity is this call to do some kind of evangelism. And so today, uh, a few weeks from now, I'll, I'll talk about, next week and the week following, I'll talk about what types of evangelism there are and what may work in our culture or whatever. But today, I want to talk about this common, now, this common idea of we need to do evangelism, period. Just in the broad sense, we need to do evangelism. And I want to propose that evangelism, evangelism, the sharing of the good news, is still a pivotal part of our church today because it is a primary way God speaks to people even today. Even though our culture has changed, even though many of our evangelism strategies may change, and what hasn't changed is the fact that God still speaks through evangelism. God still speaks through ordinary people sharing the good news. That's the fundamental calling of evangelism. And why? But why? I want to talk about that. Why is it that God uses his people to share the good news? Why is this calling of evangelism still here today? Reason number one, God is a speaking God. God is a speaking God. Throughout the Bible, God speaks. This is a pattern you see throughout the whole Bible. In the very beginning, in the creation count, how does God create the world? Through speaking. Through speaking. God speaks, and it's a pretty fascinating concept. Because of God speaking, life comes forth. Life is created because God speaks. And you see this pattern over and over throughout the Bible. Uh, When God makes promises to people like Noah or through Abraham, he is promising that there will be life. He's saying to Abraham, your descendants will be numerous and they will have life. And when he commands, when he speaks to Pharaoh... To let people go? Why is that? Because he wants the Israelites to flourish and to have life, to be saved and be redeemed. And then he gives laws to the nations of Israel. He speaks laws to the nations of Israel so that they would have life. And he declares both judgments and promises through the prophets throughout the Old Testament. And, and he's saying, why do you want to perish, Israel? I speak these things to you so that you may have life. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible calls, the Word of God. The word of God, and that's very intentional. Here's John one fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is fascinating because Jesus is the Word of God and He becomes flesh. And what that what that signifies is Jesus is in a sense the physical embodiment, the physical embodiment of God's speaking nature. So God wants to communicate to humanity. He's been doing it throughout the Old Testament over and over in all these different ways. And the fulfillment, the climax of that, is the person of Jesus. That is God's main form, his his final form of communicating to humanity. And so Jesus, as a person, he encompasses God's message to humanity. And what is that message? It's the gospel, the good news. And that is that if you receive Jesus' life, death, and resurrection... You receive his good news. And what happens when you receive the good news? Here's John 5, 24. Truly, truly, this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And so just as the spoken words of God throughout the Old Testament gave life, so Jesus also gives life. If you receive and believe in Jesus, you receive And experience life. But specifically, how does somebody receive? How does someone move from a point of not receiving Jesus to a point where they receive Jesus? Let's read Romans 10 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so Paul, he's writing this and he's making this logical argument. And essentially he's saying the main way, the primary way someone goes from not being saved to being saved, to go from not receiving Jesus to receiving Jesus, to go from death to life, the primary way that transition happens is if somebody comes and preaches the gospel to them. That's how that transition happens. The primary way someone experiences new life is through somebody else verbally explaining the gospel to them. Speaking words that bring life has been God's strategy from the very beginning. It's how he created the world and it's how he is saving the world. Sometimes when people talk about evangelism, they might say something like, maybe you've said something like this, you might say something like, you know, some people they use evangel. Sometimes they do. I mean, they might say something like, "Some people do evangelism with their words." But I prefer to do evangelism with my actions. Okay, that's a common thing. A lot of Christians say, and maybe you've said that. Maybe you still believe that. I don't do evangelism with my words. I do evangelism with my actions. Sometimes people quote, uh, wrongly quote Saint Francis of Assisi. I don't know if you've heard this before. You know. Speak the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words, okay? And the the concept is, I'm going to be preaching the gospel uh, with my actions. And I want to confirm, I mean, affirm, absolutely, we need actions, okay? If someone's only using words when they're doing evangelism, they're not doing it very well. So we need actions, we need to love our neighbors, and that matters, okay? Living out the gospel, practically, matters. However, let's get real for a little bit, okay? Try to imagine that you are not a Christian, okay? Imagine you're not a Christian, and you see someone who's a Christian doing good things, are you naturally going to conclude, wow, this person is doing a lot of great things. Therefore, everything he believes is true. You want, you want to think that. You're probably, going to say, you're probably going to think something like, wow, religion is a very good tool at making people moral. That's probably what you're going to think. You're going to think, this person's probably really scared of hell. or, or I don't know what you're going to think. But you're, going to, you're not going to automatically think, okay, This person is doing a lot of great things, so therefore, everything he believes about the Bible is true. Therefore, most of the time, that's not what happens, okay? If our goal is to help people to know God, then it's simply not enough to do good things. And why is that? Because Christianity is ultimately not about good things, but it's about the good news. If our religion was ultimately about doing good things, then we don't need to share the gospel, Just need to do good things. But because Christianity is ultimately about good news, then we have to talk about it. Think about it this way let's go back to the IHOP burger analogy, okay? Let's say IHOP, you know, they have these burgers, okay? And let's say, I've never had these burgers, but let's pretend that they're the best burgers on earth, okay? And if you're vegan, let's say they're vegan burgers. If you're gluten free, they're gluten free burgers, okay? Fill in the blank. They're the best burgers on earth, okay? And so, let's assume. That uh, you're um, giving this IHOP burger to a friend, okay, and you, want to, and you give this IHOP burger to a friend, and let's say you don't tell them that it's an IHOP burger. You just say, hey, here's this burger, okay, and they ate the burger and they go, wow, this is an amazing burger, okay? Not doing evangelism with words is the equivalent of not telling them where it's from, right? You're not telling them where the IHOP burger is from, and then so if you don't tell them where it's from, they're not going to think, wow, I should check out IHOP. I I, I want to buy some burgers from IHOP. They're going to think, wow, you're an amazing cook. What ingredients did you use? What grill did you have? Okay, they're not going to think, I want to go to IHOP. They're going to think, you're an amazing cook. And in the same way, I I want to propose, if we do evangelism only with actions and not through words, they're not going to think, wow, you have a great God. They're going to think, you're a great person. And if that's the goal of evangelism, to get people to think that we are great people, then we've missed the mark. Because our goal is not just to get people to think that we're great people, that we're loving people, that we're kind people. Our goal is to get people to think we have a great God. Ultimately, Christianity is not about what we do. It's a message that we offer. Reason number two, God is a seeking God. Seeking God. Throughout the Bible, we often see this picture of God seeking people who are far away who are on the margins, who are outcasts. And throughout the Bible, there's this. there are a lot of analogies that it uses, but one of the common analogies is this picture of God being a shepherd and us being sheep. And we see this, in, for example, in Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 12. For this says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, So will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so God is painting painting this picture of himself looking in the darkness, looking for his scattered sheep and rescuing them and bringing them back home. That's the picture of God. God is a shepherd who seeks out lost sheep. And Jesus picks up on this language as well. In Luke chapter 15, this is Jesus starting from verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. You know, this is a fascinating passage because, you know, Jesus, he's talking to us. He says, What man among you you know, if you have 100 sheep and you have 99, you would leave your 99 to get the one. And my answer is, I would not leave the 99 to get the one. You know, if I leave the one, what of these 99 One way, I'm content with the 99. But his whole point is, that's not how God is. That's not how God is. God wants to go after the one lost sheep. That's his heart. And when he finds that lost sheep, he rejoices. And catch this, this is John chapter 10. 14 through 16, Jesus says, "'I am the good shepherd. "'I know my own, and my own know me, "'just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, "'and I lay down my life for the sheep.'" So he could have stopped right there. I have this flock of sheep. They're amazing. We have this great relationship. We're awesome. But he doesn't. He goes on. "'And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. "'I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, "'so there will be one flock, one shepherd.'" That's been God's heart from the beginning not just to be content with the sheep who know him, who love him, just hanging out with this sheep. His heart has always been to reach the sheep who he doesn't know. I mean, the sheep who don't know him. He knows all sheep. They just don't know him, right? He wants to reach all the sheep who don't know him. God's heart has been to seek out those who are lost. And that should be our heart as well, to seek out those who are lost. Some organizations... um, we just think, you know, think about our society. Some organizations are solely inward-oriented. And what I mean is that they create a lot of benefits for those in the organization. Um, they exist only for themselves. There's no benefit to those around them. Maybe you can think of, like, a country club or, or something like that. You know, this they, they, an gr- organization. There's nothing bad with them. It's just they exist only for themselves. And if you're not a part of the country club, you don't get any benefits from the country club. Other organizations are both inward oriented and outward oriented meaning if you're part of it you get benefits but if you're not part of it you also get benefits for example a hospital is such so that it provides benefits for those who are employed by the hospital doctors get jobs and things like that and it provides benefits for those who are outside of the hospital if you get into an accident and you go to the emergency room you go to the hospital and the hospital cares for you or a baseball game it provides benefits for those who play baseball or are umpires, or they sell popcorn, or whatever, and they provide benefits for people who are not baseball players, and they're just fans. They want to enjoy the game. So some organizations, they provide benefits only for themselves, and other organizations provide benefits for themselves and for other people around them. And I want to propose the church should be the second category, where If you're part of the church, you reap some of the benefits of the church, you experience a community, you experience teaching, you experience growth, whatever. And if you're not a part of the church, the church is such so that you should also receive benefits from the church because part of the orientation of the church is that it seeks and helps and serves those outside of the church. If you look at the scriptures, you'll see that God has always longed to bless people who are not his people. God has always sought to seek out those who are lost. When God blessed Abraham, for example, he told Abraham that his descendants, that he's blessing him, his descendants, so that his descendants will be a blessing to the nations, to those around, to those outside. When he established the people of Israel, for example, he he commanded Israel, be kind and loving to the foreigners around you, the foreigners traveling in your midst. And when his people were exiled, when they were disobedient, they were exiled to Babylon and Persia. He commanded his people, seek the welfare of the city where you reside. And when Jesus came, what did Jesus do? His ministry was characterized by seeking out those on the margins, seeking out the poor, seeking out the sick, seeking out the Gentiles, seeking out the lone woman at the well. And that is why Jesus said about himself in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man, this is himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Christian God is not stagnant or dormant. He's not just, he he has his click and he's content with his click. He has always been a seeking God, seeking out those who don't know him. He's been moving and mobilizing his people to move outward, to continually seek those who are in need. So God, God has been a seeking God, and uh, God is a speaking God, but finally, God is a sending God. In other words, God doesn't just do evangelism on his own, but he has a very specific way of doing evangelism, and that is that he sends ordinary people to do it. God sends ordinary people to do it. that's been his pattern throughout the history as well. And it's very odd when you think about it because when you think about how great God is, how amazing God is, what he is capable of, there are a lot more efficient ways of doing things. But God has chosen to use ordinary people to speak his words, to get his job done. For example, God could have freed the Israelites in Egypt from slavery on his own. He could have done it on his own, but what did he do? He chose to appear to a bush, I mean, he chose to appear in a bush to a person named Moses, and he told this man Moses, who complained that he couldn't talk very well, to go to Israel. That's God's chosen method, uh, chosen method, right? He chose Moses, even though you talk you don't talk very well, even though you killed a man in Egypt and they hate you, you're gonna be my chosen person to go to Israel and speak up against Pharaoh and free the Israelites. That's what God did. God chose he could have killed Goliath on his own, okay. He, you know, he's all powerful. He could have done that on his own, but what did he do? He found this little shepherd boy, and he said, okay, you, you can't even fit armor, okay, but you're going to kill Goliath, right? That's what he said. And then he he said, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I am I want to deliver this message to the world, okay, and I'm not going to choose kings or powerful generals or anything. What I'm going to do is I'm going to choose this ragtag of 12 young, educated, poor people in the middle of nowhere, okay? And they're fishermen and tax collectors and they bicker with one another. I want to choose these people and I'm going to ask them to share the gospel with the world. That's God's method. He commissioned the poor, educated, first disciples to share the gospel with the world. And you would think, okay, you think an all-powerful God, at the very least, if he's sending people, he would send more efficient people or more well-educated people or fill in the blank, but he doesn't. God's method from the beginning throughout the Bible has been to choose the nobodies of the world to do his work. And this is important because sometimes when we think about evangelism, we forget that. We forget that. We think that, oh, God wants to do evangelism, so he's going to do it on his own. Or if he, or if he does work, he's not going to choose me. You know, I, I can't even, I don't even know the Order the Bible. Every time someone tells me to flip the books, flip, find whatever passage, I go to the table of contents or whatever. Okay? He's not going to choose me. He's going to choose this pastor or preacher or whatever. However, that's not God's pattern. Sometimes, you know, when we, when we Christians, when we think about doing evangelism or not doing evangelism, sometimes we use this sort of way of thinking. We, we, we talk about God's sovereignty. And if you're not familiar, God, God's sovereignty is... Um, basically the idea that God is all-powerful, he's in control, so he's going to get the job done, he's going to do whatever he wants, regardless of whether I'm in it or not. So sometimes we think that way, right? And we say, God's in total control, why should I even bother to do anything at all? You know, why should I do anything at all? God's going to save this person, or he's not going to save that person, and my words don't, aren't very good anyways. We use that sort of language, you know. Lots of Christians throughout history have said similar things, there's this missionary named William Carey. He lived about 200 years ago. He has a great story, missionary to India. And when he was young, he was going around with this, he was trying to tell people about, in America, about how he wants to, uh, you know, go preach the gospel to people overseas. And at one point, uh, this prominent pastor said to him, while, this, while William Carey was talking, the, this prominent pastor, he stood up and interrupted him, and he said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid and mine. And, and side note, the word heathen is not culturally relevant anymore. We shouldn't use that word on people, okay? Just just so you know, okay. In case it's not clear. But anyways, his point was, okay? God is sovereign. He's going to get the job done anyways. What make if you're going to raise all this money and travel around the world to go to do, to do this and that? What makes you think you're going to make any difference at all? Because God has his plan, and he's going to accomplish his will anyways. And what he's doing is he is using this doctrine, this this doctrine of God's sovereignty, okay, as a defense against evangelism. He's saying you shouldn't do evangelism because God is sovereign. He's going to get the job done anyways. And the heart of this mentality is this idea. If God is going to do it, then why do I need to do it? If God is going to do it, then why do I need to do it? And sometimes we apply this mentality to a bunch of different things, not just evangelism, right? We might say something like, if God is going to help the poor, then why, am I, why do I need to do it? Or if God is going to change my heart on this issue, then why do I need to do it? But this way of thinking misses the whole point because it assumes that christianity is a works-based religion it assumes that what god wants ultimately is to get a list of things done but that's not the way god works god is a relational god and he wants us to be in relationship with him and so what god chooses instead is not just to get a bunch of things done he chooses in the context of relationship to use people to change people's hearts so that he is getting things done with people that's always been god's plan from the beginning of time God always wants to do things in the context of relationship because God is a relationship-oriented God. And that is why God sends people to do his work. Think about this. Imagine, you, let's say you're dating, okay, or you're married or something, or you have a significant other or a spouse or something, okay? And let's say you're saying to a spouse, hey, I think we should, you know, we haven't gone on a date in a while. Maybe we should go on a date. And then you're, let's say, imagine your spouse saying, oh, great. If you're going on a date, then I don't need to go on a date, okay? If you're going to go on a date, then I don't need to go on a date because you're going on a date already. If if your spouse or significant other says that, then it shows that they've missed the point altogether because the purpose of the date is not to eat food. The purpose of the date is not to watch a movie. That's not the purpose of the date. The purpose of the date is to grow in relationship with the other person. That's the point. That's the whole point. Because your spouse is is your spouse or your significant other is not just trying to do a task, your spouse is trying to do a task in the context of a relationship. And that's how it is with evangelism. Evangelism is not about the task, it's about the relationship. And that's why God wants to do evangelism with you. So the proper mentality is this: God, you're doing this thing called evangelism and you're inviting me to do it with you, I want to do it with you. Sign me up. In fact, if understood rightly, the sovereignty of God is not a deterrent to evangelism. It's a motivation for evangelism. Because, if you think about it the other way, if God wasn't sovereign, then there is no reason for evangelism at all. There's a guy named J.I. J. Packer, and he says this, Were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen, and there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. And his point is this. If God's not in control... Okay, If it was solely up to you to change people's hearts, to be witty with your words, to tell a great story, to convince people to repent of their sins, to reject their past, and to start a new life, if it was up to you, then that's a complete waste of time. There's no chance. It would be a total wasted effort. But because evangelism is God's ordained, appointed, chosen method of sharing the gospel with the world then there is hope for evangelism. Then we can do it. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is known as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I'll point out a few things in this passage. First off, Notice clearly, Jesus is sending his disciples. Okay, think about this for a second, okay? Jesus died and rose from the dead. If there was anybody who could have done a great job at evangelism, it was Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He bounced. He left. He ascended into heaven, okay? And what did he do? He told his disciples, his 12 people who were uneducated and poor and whatever, fill in the blank. He said, now you guys share the gospel, okay? So he sent people to share the gospel, Even though he could have just showed up and said, hey, look at me, you know, I rose from the dead, you know, that's pretty good evidence. He sent people to give the message, right? That's the first thing I want you to notice. Secondly, notice what comes before the command and after the command. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, a.k.a. I am sovereign, okay? I am sovereign. I am in total control. And then he says, after the command, behold, I am with you always. AKA, I am with you. Okay, think about this. If we only have this command, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. If we only have that, then evangelism would be a lost cause. We would have no chance. But because Jesus has all authority, because God is sovereign, and because Jesus is with us always, because that sovereignty is with us always and empowering us and motivating us with us always, he's speaking through us, because of that, then we have hope that our evangelism makes a difference. Our evangelism has the power to save. Was Jesus' mission a failed mission? Let's think about this for a second. Because all the disciples died and all nations were not saved, it's not a failed mission. And why is that? because it's an incomplete mission that has been passed down till today. The mission lives on today. The baton of the Great Commission has been passed to generation after generation, and the hope is that one day all nations would become disciples of Jesus. That is why Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, As a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Our history as we know it is defined by this mission of the church to proclaim the gospel throughout the whole world. And when that task is done, then this age is complete. That is the final age of this humanity, and then we have the new age to come. That is the main task of the church. And so even today... God is sending people to do evangelism. It's not just the apostles in the New Testament that he sends, and then they preached it a little bit, and now we're done. The mission continues today. It's not yet done. And the task of evangelism is still relevant today because the task of evangelism is not yet complete. I used to work in college ministry. I don't know if you know, I used to work in college ministry. and um, I remember one time, it was the fall of 2012, before I was at the village church, and it was the first day of class at George Mason University. Um, I got connected with this freshman named Kyle. Kyle's on the left. And, uh, and I met him that day. We had a three-hour conversation, and he shared that he grew up in the church, but he hadn't gone to church in, in, since early high school because he got frustrated with the hypocrisy of the church. He fought a lot with his dad. His, he felt like his dad was very hypocritical. He actually hadn't talked to his dad in almost a year, and he was on... Very bad terms with his family and and I, I, we ended up talking a little bit I shared about my story, about my dad and, and you know and we had a long conversation at, at the end of the conversation, I, he gave me the opportunity to share the gospel um, and I did, and he said, "I've never heard it like that before, and I want to follow Jesus. that's what he said and uh, so that day he he prayed and um he said, "I want to follow jesus and he and I remember the prayer uh, pretty distinctly he said um, I'm really confused right now. I don't really know what's going on, but I just feel like you're leading me in such a way. You're coordinating all these events in my life, all these horrible things, um, to bring me to this day to follow Jesus. And, and so he, I remember he said that. But That's not the end of the story. Okay, a few weeks later, I met this guy named John. Kyle was friend, and John was on the right. Kyle was friends with John. They had chem class together, I think, and uh, we met him in the dining hall because I was meeting up with Kyle, and John was right there, and I got to know John and ask John some questions, and, you know, John, he uh, also came from a Christian family, but uh, his parents divorced when he was really young, and since they divorced, he stopped going to church and things like that, so he hadn't really thought about religion in a while, and, um, and I just asked him, I was curious, so what do you think about God, and he's like, I don't know, I think God exists, I'm not sure, but I don't think he interacts with people, and so, um, so like things like prayer or church, like it's, it's sort of meaningless, and so that's what it, he believed, and so we I just kept, you know, hanging out with Kyle, and sometimes uh, Kyle would invite John to things. So I would hang out with John, and we had these weekly meetings. So John would come out to things like that. And I noticed he started to ask these questions, and it seemed like God was doing something in his heart. And so uh, by October, so this was the span of just like a little over a month. By October, he was reading the Bible like crazy. And one Sunday morning, we were at a fall retreat. He made the decision he wanted to follow Jesus too. And what I love about this story is that Kyle didn't know a lot of things. He didn't know a lot of things. What he did know was that there was a God who loved him, and he just wanted to share that with John. It meant a lot to him that there was this God who loved him unconditionally, and he just wanted to share that with John. He knew that God sought him out, and all he knew what to do with that information was just to share that. And that's all evangelism is. One person once put it, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he got his food. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he got his food. That's all it is. You don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to know all the words. You don't need to know all the theology. All you need to do is you experience the gospel in your own life, and you're open enough to share that experience with others. The way God speaks today is the same way that God has spoken throughout history. He's taken ordinary people, turned their lives around, and asked them to share their experience with others. God is still a speaking God. God is still a seeking God. God is still a sending God. And if you are a Christian, I want to suggest he is also sending you to seek out those who don't know him. And when you find those people to speak words that bring life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is content with the status quo, that even when the world was spiraling into sin and death, you didn't sit up in heaven content with things, with the way things were, but you sent Jesus down to our earth. To speak words that brought life, and to seek out the lost, and to bring people into the right relationship with you, into the right relationship with others. And at the at very end of the age, God sometimes we we question why you do it this way. I mean, at the very end of Jesus' ministry, we sometimes we question why you do it this way. But Jesus commissioned us to continue His example in bringing people to you to carry this message of reconciliation to the world. And God, you know, I want to confess, you know, maybe those of us in this room want to confess, sometimes we don't do it. Maybe we're scared, maybe we're nervous, maybe we're busy, fill in the blank. There's a lot of reasons why we don't do it. And sometimes we might even justify why we don't do it because we don't want to give you a bad name. Or because, you know, we want to make sure we're loving people first. Or because we want to do it in the context of relationship. And so we don't want to, you know, put the, 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 the car in front of the horse. Or what, we have all these reasons why we don't do it. And as a result, we just haven't done it. And God, we want to recognize this is a hard task that you put in front of us. It's not easy. We want to pray in faith because we know and trust this is your chosen method to save the world, God. I also want to pray for those in this room who may not know you, those who may still be far from you, those maybe you are still seeking here in this room. And God, maybe they feel awkward right now because you know we just had this talk about evangelism, and, and God, I just maybe it's not an accident that they're here and. If they're here today, I want to pray that you would prod their heart, that you would even use some of the words that you use through me to speak to them. God, I pray that you would save people in this church, and I pray that you would use this church to save those outside of the church. Help us always remember that you want to speak to us. Help us to remember you are seeking those who don't to don't yet know you through us and. Help us to remember that you are sending us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to move into a time of communion. Communion is when we remember Jesus' death for us. And so you can spend some time reflecting on what you heard today and anything else that God might be putting on your heart. And then when you're ready, you can line up on either side of the aisle. Um, Take the bread and dip it in the grape juice and take it right there. I also wanted to let you know, recently we started, uh, you know, someone has celiac disease and in this congregation. Maybe there's other people who do, and so we have a gluten-free option um, for those of you who can't take this regular communion. Spend some time to think about it, or pray about it. When you, when you take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, and dip it in the grape juice, which represents Jesus' blood, remember that Jesus died so that you might be brought into the family of God. Jesus was sent here so that you can be reconciled with God.